0: and to have the sense that God is here and present and the Holy Spirit is in our midst. We uh, had a wonderful little baptism over at the last service. It was the sweetest thing ever you'd ever see, despite the pastor. Um, so uh, just those little tiny moments remind us that uh, God is often found in the quiet places. So we are grateful that we get to be here in this quiet place away from perhaps the hustle and bustle of the world, and to reflect upon God's good word, and to wonder what God may be up to in this word and in our lives. We're going to take a look today at um, the 14th chapter of Matthew, beginning at the 13th verse, Uh, a story that maybe you've heard a hundred times before, but always when we uh, read god's good word we uh, always do so with the prayer that maybe god would give us the grace to hear it as if we're hearing it for the first time so let's hear this word of god as it comes to us from matthew chapter 14 verse 13 uh, and following now when jesus heard this he withdrew from there and what jesus had heard is that john the baptized john the baptist had been um, executed had been beheaded by king herod and many of you remember that john the baptist was jesus cousin and his forerunner in his ministry so when jesus heard this he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself but when the crowds heard it they followed him on foot from the towns and when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion for them and cured their sick and when it was evening the disciples came to him and said this is a deserted place and the hour is now late Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. And Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they replied, well, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed And broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces. Twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Thanks. Lord, for how you speak to us in so many different ways, whether it's by going away to uh, a conference and having new people speak your word to us, new music, whether it's heading ourselves into the mission field, whether it was coming here Saturday morning and afternoon and helping folks get ready for school We're thankful, Lord, that you um, are always there trying to open our eyes and our ears to what it is that you're up to. So we pray that by this word we would hear again what you may be saying and that we may be called further into a loving relationship with you and your people. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So there is a cute little poem by Valerie Cox that tells of a woman who is traveling and making connections at some unknown airport. And because she has some time to kill, she goes and she buys a book in the airport shop and she buys a bag of cookies to enjoy while reading. And so she plops herself down and begins reading her book when a gentleman comes and sits down beside her. And she notices after a couple of minutes that the man reaches into her bag of cookies and takes one. This is rather peculiar, she wonders. So she takes one. And in a moment, he takes another one. And so she takes another one. And he takes one, and she takes one, and he takes one, and she takes one. Back and forth they go. And each time the man takes a cookie, she's getting more and more perturbed at what he's doing. Until there's finally one left. And she wonders what this rather rude man is going to do with this last cookie. And sure enough, he reaches into the bag, pulls it out, breaks it in half, and gives her the one half and (laughs) takes the other half. Now she's just about beside herself. So listen to how the poem concludes. She had never known when she had been so galled and sighed with relief when her flight was called. She gathered her belongings and headed to the gate, refusing to look back at the thieving ingrate. She boarded the plane and sank in her seat, then sought her book, which was almost complete. As she reached in her baggage, she gasped with surprise. There was her bag of cookies in front of her eyes. (laughs) If mine are here, she moaned with despair. Then the others were his, and he tried to share. Too late to apologize, she realized with grief that she was the rude one, the ingrate, the thief. Has there ever been a time when you wished you had trusted yourself less? Has there ever been a time when you discovered that your view of things, as sure as you were, that you had the right view of things, turned out to be so very much the wrong view? Has there ever been a time when the opinion you formed in your mind of a person or a situation, as clear as you were in your determination, you discovered later that you could not have been more off the mark? Each one of us, I can imagine, can think of someone in our high school class that got picked on a bit, you know, some nerdy kind of guy, you know, the guy that in the social strata of high school was not amounting to anything, the loser, we called him. And of course, at the 25th reunion, we discovered that the loser was actually the winner. He had discovered the cure to 15 diseases and is soon to be on the cover of Time magazine. No thanks to you. You missed it. You missed it. You didn't see it. Tom Dempsey grew up with half a foot, ridiculed by just about every kid who came his way. What possible thing could Tom Dempsey do with half a foot, loser? The only thing he could do is kick the longest field goal in NFL history, 63 yards, one of the most enduring records in sports, a painful thing for me because I was a Lions fan and I saw that game live. It's amazing, isn't it, how eager we are to trust our own view of things. Years ago, I remember walking into a convenience store and seeing a bunch of kids just hanging out. And it looked, you know, kind of like they were just loitering. And it looked like they were kind of up to no good. And I thought to myself, you know, there's, a little, there's trouble. I, I wonder what's going to happen to these kids. A week or so later, I was asked to pray at the local Boy Scout Court of Honor and saw one of the kids, one of those kids proudly holding the American flag, all dressed up in his uniform, his Eagle Scout medal pinned proudly. How eager we are to trust our own view of things. Now, before you start thinking this is gonna be one of those sermons where we should give up all semblances of common sense and not seek to apply our logical and analytical minds to the affairs of the world, let me assure you that that is not the case. But God gave us brains to reason. He gave us brains to discern, to analyze. It's always best to remember that one plus one equals two and that every action, there is a reaction. And yet the truth is our brains, our eyes, our common sense can sometimes betray us because they are not as pure as we want to think they are Francis Bacon the philosopher put it this way the human mind rememble, resembles those uneven mirrors that you see in an amusement park which impart their own properties to different objects and distort and disfigure them therapists call this projection it's best to not always trust your own view of things So, Jesus is out there with his disciples, he has just received some very bad news his cousin and forerunner, as I mentioned, John the Baptist, has been beheaded inside the courts of Herod. And this is, of course, greatly discouraging to Jesus. John was one of the good guys. John was family. John was one who had everybody's best interests at heart. John was the one who had the the nation of Israel at heart. But now John, in a second, has been murdered. And upon receiving this news, Jesus retreats to a deserted place by himself. And, and when we read that in Scripture, what we read is that Jesus has gone off to pray. He's gone off to commune with his creator because, you see, when you get news like that, it's devastating. It's news that can affect your view of things. It's news that can make you grow cynical. It can make you grow hopeless, grow indifferent, to say maybe, you know what? You know what? It's just not worth it. I don't care. I'll give up. No point in being a good person. See where to get you. So maybe to guard against this, Jesus retreats and has a conversation with the Creator, and gathers up once again the Father's view of the world, the Father's view of his own mission, to remember perhaps that God still loves the world, despite what sometimes cruel despots can do. So maybe that explains that when Jesus came upon the great crowd after he comes back from retreat, this crowd of likely 10,000 people, when Jesus comes upon the great crowd, he didn't say, ah, go find yourself another Messiah. Go find yourself another do-gooder to abuse. Go find yourself another prophet to behead. No, Matthew tells us that when Jesus saw the crowd after having come back from retreat, he had compassion for them. He didn't trust his own view. He trusted the Father's view. He had compassion for them. He healed them. He taught them. He loved them. He loved them all the way until it was evening, and when it was evening, it was his disciples who put to use their analytical minds and surveyed the expanse of the crowd, calculated the position of the sun, and with loving and compassionate hearts will give them the benefit of the doubt, said to Jesus, best, best now to send the people away so they have time to go to the village and get themselves something to eat. And then Jesus zings them with this line, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. <laughs> uh, excuse me, Jesus said we, we got like like ten thousand people out here. And you know, we don't have anything. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. <laughs> but we, we don't have anything, the disciples say. We have nothing except these five loaves and two fish. We, we have nothing. We have, we have nothing. Do you hear the distortion in their answer? Do you hear the, the funny house mirror? We have nothing. They have something. They, we have nothing but these five loaves and two fish. We, we've got nothing out here except for these one, two, three, four, five, six, seven pieces of food right here. Jesus, don't you see? We have nothing. So Jesus asks for the loaves and the two fish. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And gathers them up together and takes them into his hands. And now, all of a sudden, there is this eighth element. There is this eighth element when Jesus takes these elements into his hands, there becomes this eighth element that turns the seven, the nothing, into the blessed imagination of God, into the blessed imagination of God. Jesus lifts the seven, and with them, he blesses them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, blesses them, and lifts them to heaven, and breaks them, and gives them to the disciples, and the disciples distribute them to all who were there, and all, it says in Matthew, all were filled, and when dinner was over, it was time time to collect leftovers 12 baskets full the disciples were so sure they had 7 Five loaves, two fish, five loaves, two fish, seven little pieces of food. That's not going to do it, Jesus. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They were so sure of their view of things. So Jesus, with his blessed imagination, counts up to eight. And with eight, you can feed an army. With eight, you get leftovers. With eight, you start to see miracles. Eight, when you turn it over on its side, is what? The symbol of infinity is just that one extra that makes the difference. It's this eighth element that, when introduced into the equation, changes all the math. You see, the disciples had only learned to count to seven, had only learned to add up demand, subtract supply, and there you go, Jesus. Not going to happen. Nothing more basic than that, Jesus. But that's only if you can count only to seven. If you cannot count to eight, if you cannot count to eight, you're always gonna live in this world of limitation, this world of less than infinity. But it's when you begin to count to eight that you begin to take all of what you've been given and you say to the good Lord, what do you think? What do you think we can do with this? It's only then that you can imagine What might happen? In the middle of Tehran, there stands the Galveston Palace, the home of generations of kings and shahs. And I'm told that as you walk into the grand entrance of this palace, you are greeted with the overwhelming sight of glittering, sparkling glass. You swear that dome ceilings and walls and columns are covered with diamonds, but upon close inspection, you can see that these are not diamonds, these are small little pieces of mirror, and these fragmented pieces of mirror reflect the light in a million different directions such that you swear you are stepping inside a crystal palace. But the story goes, when designing the palace, this was not the original plan. The original plan had been for mirrors, to be sure, solid mirrors to be hung from floor to ceiling, wall to wall, which itself would have been amazing. The mirrors were ordered from France and sent, but they shattered en route. And when they opened the crates in Tehran, all these broken pieces of mirrors spilled out. And so the builder wired the architect and said, we have nothing. And just before they threw it away, one designer began to imagine and wondered if they could fit all these little pieces of mirror into a mosaic of glass upon the walls and ceiling. What might that do? And so they discovered something that was much more beautiful. We have nothing. We have nothing but 10 million pieces of glass Ah, but that's only if you can count to 10 million. What about 10 million and one? So Peter, the disciple, comes to Jesus and says, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Is seven times enough? And Jesus says, how about counting to eight? How about counting to 9 and 10 and 11? How about when you try to forgive, you hand that over to me and let me play with it for a bit? When the good Lord created the earth, the good book says that it was seven days it took seven days, six days God created, the seventh day God rested, and that's kind of how the human rhythm was created, right? The human cycle of time, seven days, the seven days of a week, and the seventh day we are supposed to be left to ponder the blessed imagination of God and what God might have might be doing with what we've done. The seventh day was the day to hand our time over to God and God's blessed imagination what might you do O lord with what i've done we count seven days though we count seven days and what do we say not enough time i wish i had more days in the week and god says i'm in charge of the eighth day seven days is enough Did you know that we, that is the world community, have the potential of feeding every single human being? Every single human being. Not one person in this world has to go hungry. The problem is we only count to seven. The world has the potential of eliminating every single nuclear weapon on the face of this globe, but we've only figured out how to count to seven. The world has the potential of ensuring that every child gets vaccinated and gets an education. Oh, but we're just counting to seven. We have the potential of cleansing the continent of Africa from the scourge of an epidemic of AIDS, but we've only counted to seven. There is no limit to the blessed imagination of God. We saw some of that yesterday. A few of us gathered up some loaves and fish, put them in some backpacks, and on the day of hope, outfitted over 200 children for school, and that was, just, that was just one day, one day of hope. But guess what? Every day gets to be the day of hope when you give your seven, when you give your nothing to the master, and you turn it into eight. We just have to trust ourselves less and trust the blessed imagination more. One of the prayer books I use invites the supplicant into a time of confession and does so with these words. Ask forgiveness from the Lord for the moments in which you did not respond to his love. Don't be afraid to ask for the great gift of growing sense of your sinfulness, a growing sense of wonder that you still have time to change, a sense of joy and gratitude that you have been guaranteed the victory through Christ. And then, this last part is the part I love especially. A deeper mistrust of yourself and a more profound trust in God. A deeper mistrust of yourself and a more profound trust of God. We have been given these gifts, right? Each one of us has been given these gifts. We have gifts for the world. If we would just trust ourselves less and trust our Father in heaven more. Maybe losers would become winners. Maybe troublemakers would become Boy Scouts. Maybe hungry mouths would be fed. Maybe guilty souls would be forgiven. Maybe dying people would become well. If we could just trust ourselves less and trust our Father more. If we could but just learn from Jesus how to count to eight. Let's pray. Lord, it's just so easy for us to take a look at our own lives and think how little we have. And yet it only takes us looking at the rest of the world to see, holy smokes, we have so much And yes, the world is full of need and we would wonder ourselves about what little bit we can do and whether we have enough to feed the masses. But Lord, you are so good. You are so good with your blessed imagination to take what we have to offer you and to turn it into something incredibly miraculous. Lord, we pray that you will Help us to trust ourselves less and trust you more, to let go of even the five loaves and the two fish, to let go and let God. So, Lord, we thank you, and we pray that this may be the first day of us trusting you more. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So, friends, um, we are going to next week. We're going to be saying goodbye to our worship leader, Chris Edwards, who's been with us for the past year. And um, I think uh, we're all in agreement, aren't we, that Chris is like one of the most amazing men in all the world. Let's get a hand. Let's get a hand. <laughs> and uh, this is the day that Lori and I get to actually be together on a Sunday during the summer. And so we didn't want uh, the chance to get away for the two of us, along with the the rest of you, uh, to come and to lay hands on this guy because we want to bless him into the next chapter of his life. Um, And we know it's going to be a great chapter because we have a great God and this is a great guy, right? So what I'd like for you to do is I want you, as we conclude our worship, to stand up, come over here, and we're going to surround him with love